This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Pete Payne is a pastor and is preaching this message. We are in the middle of a series within a series. This is, this is like the Jonah series, Jonah and the Whale. We are in the middle of a series within a series in the book of Romans, just one chapter we're going to go through. Uh, we're actually in the midst of a longer series on the book of Acts, which will probably take us most of this year. Uh, but we're at a break point there, uh, just before the conversion of Saul, who became Paul, from whom we got much of our New Testament. But um, we felt like as we were meeting with the church in community groups and with individuals over the last six months, and some of the things we heard and learned about this church we felt as a team that it would be good to take this break. And actually, this material is so significant in the life of Paul. Uh, What we're going to be studying about Paul, he's talking about theologically what happened to him here in this chapter. So it's very significant, very important material. And we believe the Lord has a word for our church through this particular chapter. So that's why we're here. I'm going to read the first four verses, which Craig has actually preached on the last two weeks. And then we'll pray. And um, we're going to actually be looking more in-depth at verses 5 through 11 a little bit later. But let's start with where we've been. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is, as you've heard, if you haven't heard Craig's previous two weeks' messages, I strongly encourage you to go online and listen to those messages. Just powerfully, amazingly, impossibly good news for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. It's not just theory. This is personal. It's all that had been promised in the Old Testament, all that had been promised with the coming of the Messiah and with John the Baptist and all of these things has now come to fulfillment. The, the Savior, the Redeemer, has come. He's lived a perfect life. He's died a sacrificial death. He's been resurrected from the dead. He's ascended into heaven, and he's poured out the Holy Spirit on his church. All of these things have happened. It dramatically changed Paul, which we'll read about in Acts in a few weeks. It's dramatically changed people in this room. It's the same story, the same story that changed Paul, the same Holy Spirit that filled Paul is available here today. We've been saved from the righteous wrath of God and become those who enjoy today his unmerited favor. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's such a radical bit of news that the enemies of God, the enemies of Paul's gospel, the gospel that we preach here as well, were quick to say, great, sarcastically, if that's true, Just go on sinning, that grace may increase. To which Paul immediately responded, may it never be. May it never be. You can't understand. But we believe that the Lord wants all of us to understand exactly what happened, why it happened, and what it means for us. So let's pray, and we'll ask the Lord to meet us. We all need him. Father, thank you for the Spirit's power being poured out on us. Thank you for the, the act that made that possible as Jesus came and died for us, taking our place, taking the place that we deserved and instead giving us what he deserved, righteousness, favor, love, sonship, his Spirit by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So Papa, this morning, we cry out to you. We ask you, Lord, to give us ears to hear We pray that in our weakness as speaker and as listeners, that you would be strong today. Lord, we pray that your spirit's power would penetrate hearts wherever they are in this room. Lord, you know every heart. You know every condition. You alone are ever able to meet every need. We thank you for your plan. Thank you for your ability to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
going to tell you a story. How many of you have seen the TV show Lost? A few. How many of you don't want to admit that you watched this show Lost over all those years? Well, Lost was a TV show, for those of you that didn't see it, that started with the opening scene that I don't think I ever saw. Apparently, there was just some eyes that opened up, and we have a man. There he is. By the way, I'm telling you a story, and my friend Timothy Prater is the illustrator for our story today because we thought the picture would tell a thousand words, and this way I could keep the message shorter. I wouldn't have to say so many words. You could just watch the pictures, and some of you like those comic books for that reason anyway. So he finds himself lying on some kind of vegetation on an island, and then he finds out that he's lost, and after five or six or whatever years it was of very drug-induced uh, drama and things that happened, the, the show came to a very unsatisfying conclusion. Like, what just happened and why did I watch this? That's how it ended. So, we're going to talk a little bit today about a similar story. I want you to imagine that you have a front row seat to observe as a man suddenly awakes, but unlike in Lost, he's awakening to a pitch black environment. Can't see the hand in front of his face, it's dark. And initially, In spite of all the darkness, not knowing where he is, what's going on, all seems well. He doesn't seem to be in any danger. Doesn't seem like the person, uh, seems like he has everything he needs, food, drink, certain creature comforts, etc. And then the lights come on. And we realize that this guy is in some kind of a space suit. So here's our our superhero. And you can't see it. He looks kind of like Iron Man. We're doing multiple movie motifs today and TV motifs. Can't really see, but in the middle of his chest, there's a power source that is marked with a negative. And uh, here it is. It's a watch battery. Okay? That's his power source. The lights come on, and it reveals that there's some kind of energy source in him, and it's become entangled in a large cloth that has writing all over it. The writing seems to be a set of instructions for some kind of a mission. Unfortunately, even though the lights enable our hero to assess his situation, they've also allowed some bad guy out in the darkness to zero in on his position and begin to fire deadly darts in his direction. He has to get out of there. He has to move out of danger. But as he tries, he becomes more and more entangled in the cloth containing the mission instructions. And he realizes that as he tries to move, he cannot. He's unable His power source, here it is, simply doesn't have enough energy to break him free. It's just making everything worse. The instructions are dragging him down toward the water. So he begins to curse the light, curse whatever's caught him and entangled him, curse his inability to move, curse the enemy that's firing the darts at him. He's in despair. The light also reveals that there's not just water out there, but the tide is coming in. It will only be a matter of time before our superhero is killed by the firing of the enemy or drowns in the approaching tide. Looks pretty hopeless. As a matter of fact, it is hopeless. But suddenly, a rescuer appears. And here's our rescuer. Where did he go? Next slide, there we go. Here's our rescuer. Now you can't see it, but he's got a very different energy source. He's got a plus energy source. He is powerful, and instead of his chute being all tangled up around him and dragging him down, it actually is giving him buoyancy. He is flying. He has a different kind of a power source, even though he looks very similar to the one he's come to rescue. He's not become entangled in the mission plan, and actually... His power source and the mission plan seem to be working together. Everything is in order and perfect. However, as the rescuer reads the mission plan, it requires that he take the hero's place and sacrifice himself so that our hero can complete the mission. In the process, our hero discovers that the reason he had crashed on the island in the first place is that he had disobeyed orders and failed to follow the mission plan. His disobedience would cause the rescuer his life, 
And as the tide begins to roll in over our rescuer, with the hero looking on in horror, the hated to be continued scrolls across your screen. This is similar to part of a picture that Paul gives us in the book of Romans, especially in chapter 7. And we're we're taking this uh, eighth chapter, but the eighth chapter fits into the book of Romans in an argument that Paul is giving, some teaching that he's giving to a church that he's never visited. So he's bringing to them teaching that he's brought to other churches in person, and he's presenting to them this gospel that he has been saved and rescued and transformed by, and he wants the Roman church, the believers in the Roman church, to know what it is that's happened to them. So in the first chapter, he gives a greeting and an introduction, and he talks about the gospel and the power of the gospel for salvation for all who believe, that in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Then he goes on in the next two chapters to halfway through the third chapter to basically say, but no one's completed the mission. And as a matter of fact, with this power source, there's even some of you out there that have bigger batteries than this, but none of them are going to be sufficient to get the mission done. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So then he goes on from Romans, halfway through Romans 3, to up to Romans 7, and he just lays out theologically the, the inner workings of this gospel. What does it mean? How does it work? How does it relate back to the promises to Abraham and all these various things? Some of the most dense material, thick material in the entire Bible are in those chapters. And then we come to Romans 7, and suddenly he, halfway through, is back to a personal tone. He starts using the first person. And there's a lot of debate as to what Paul is doing here and how to interpret this. We've got some theologians that say it's, this is Paul talking about his experience as an unbeliever and how he was changed and how he wrestled and he was changed. We have others who say this is Paul after he was converted. It's probably the majority position. After he was converted, this is him talking about how he wrestles with sin within. We've got others who say Paul is just creating a caricature, an everyman, a, a, a Jewish man who's trying to pursue, like Cornelius, he's trying to pursue God, and yet he's not, he's not able to do that, or, or a Gentile man, or another Jew who's just trying, like Paul, was trying to pursue God, and yet he couldn't get there. And he, be, he comes to the place of saying, what a wretched man that I am. So today, we're not, we don't have time to go into all the detail and interpretation of that, but just let, let it be known there's a lot of interpretations out there. We're going to assume for today, just for today's purposes, that Paul is talking about himself, maybe about his pre-conversion experience, maybe about after he's converted, still the wrestlings and dealings with his sin. But he said this back in Romans 5, the law came to increase the trespasses. So he's as this light comes on our hero, as, the, as he starts to be aware, okay, there's rules and regulations, there's a mission plan here that I couldn't see before. Now I see it and I realize I've blown it. That was the purpose of him having that mission plan. And in Romans seven nineteen, he says, I was once alive apart from the law, but then the commandment came and I died. It's very much like the picture here. In the dark, all potentially looks like bliss. Now that person is still lost, but he doesn't know he's lost. And so it doesn't appear to him that he's headed for a negative place. He doesn't know of the danger. And that's exactly what happens to us prior to the light of the gospel being shined on us, prior to the law coming and saying, this is what God requires of us. This is what God requires. The soul who does these things will live by them. We don't know there's an enemy. We don't know the tide's coming in. We don't know that we're trapped We don't know where we are and what the purpose is. We think we can get by within the confines of our world. We don't really understand the big picture when we're in the dark. As a matter of fact, here's a scary truth. All of us were born in that condition. That's exactly what Paul said in Romans 3. It wasn't just the Gentiles and the sinners. It's all the Jews as well. Everybody was born in the dark, in that condition not knowing what grave danger they were in. But the law came and awakened both sin, but also the knowledge. So Paul's conclusion was the combination of the situation, my or everyone's reaction, our ineffective attempts to free ourselves and get out of the mess, the light, the tangling, the firing of the enemy brings me to a place of hopelessness and despair. All is lost. And here's his final statement. Wretched man 
that I am. Who will rescue me? I'm glad for the light, but I hate the light. I need a rescuer. I need a savior. So the question is asked, who will save me? Who will rescue me? Who will deliver me from this bondage? And his answer, thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph. So then we get to Romans 8, and I want to read this entire section again and talk about what I believe Paul wants us to see as we study this passage. Romans 8.1, we're going to read through verse 11. So listen carefully. The, the previous two weeks, again, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Here's the new section. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body, here speaking of the physical body, is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So I believe that this is what God's teaching us through this. God's rescue guarantees that his people will complete the mission. God's rescue guarantees that his people will complete the mission. We're gonna look at three things from that statement. The guarantee of the rescue, the condition of the rescue, and the completion of the mission. All right, first one. The guarantee of the rescue. And here's the question that as we read through this might be playing in some of your minds. How can I be sure you go out and you get a guarantee from somebody, I'm going to come and I'm going to put stuff down on your lawn and you're going to have the best lawn ever, which usually means you have to mow it more often, but I'm going to, I'm going to put stuff down. Here's my guarantee, money back guarantee. How can we be sure that God guarantees his people that they will complete their mission, that all that he said about them is going to come to pass. Listen to these phrases again. No condemnation. Now, no condemnation. In Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life, and this is a, he's using the word law here in terms of principle. It's like a gravitational force. It's like the law of gravity. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What did he do? He did this in verse four in order. He he sent his son. He sent his son to rescue. He sent his son to defeat sin. He sent his son to defeat death in order that, verse four, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is the creator of the universe. This is the one who flung the stars into space. This is the one who has created things we can't even see. They're so far away and they're so big and they're so powerful. This is the one who causes the sun to come up and go down, at least from our perspective, even though we all know that that's not happening, we're spinning. But the perspective is every day, the same thing happens. We don't have to wake up and guess whether the sun is going to appear on the horizon today. It's going to happen. Spring and summer and fall and winter, since the promise to know, have continued. They've never stopped. We've never not had a, a spring, maybe in Texas, but other places don't have a, always have spring, okay? Some places actually have winters too, but we have to move farther north to understand that. This is the creator of the universe. He says, my plan is I send my son in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be 
fulfilled, not partially, fulfilled in you. And as if that's not enough, jump down to verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. So you're... you're ability to complete the mission, your finishing of the mission, the guarantee that you as his people will be able to finish the mission is as sure as creation and as sure as the resurrection. There's no more positive guarantee than that. It is going to happen. God's people will complete their mission. It's guaranteed right here. Those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. They've been set free. They have the power of the Spirit the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power of the Son, which is beyond comprehension, is nothing compared to the power of the Spirit. If you put all of the power in the universe into one big ball, it's unimaginable how much power. That is nothing compared to the power of the Spirit. Who put that into place in the first place? If that power is in you, you will finish your mission. Impossible that you would not. That's the guarantee. The resurrection is your guarantee. The spirit within you is your guarantee. God's people will complete the mission. It's as if week two of our superhero story, episode two, the rescuer drowns. We We left him, the tide's rolling over him, he drowns or he's shot or whatever. Then his energy source, so under the water, his energy starts to pulsate. So he's got this powerful energy and it pulls him up out of the water and brings him back to life. And then he takes from his own energy source and he removes the battery, the little battery that's powering this other guy. And he says, I'm going to give you something new, give you something of me. And he puts some of his energy source into him. It's like his. It's not just like his. It is his. It's his energy source that's inside that. Then he helps him to begin to untangle the parachute, get him back on mission, and episode two ends with these words, as the rescuer soars off into space, I promise that you'll complete your mission. Promise, guaranteed. So how can our hero be sure that these words are true? Because now this spirit is within him, this energy is within him. The same power that brought this rescuer back from the dead has been given to him. This is exactly what's happened to those who are in Christ Jesus. Guess what? He's in you. His spirit, the spirit of God, has come to dwell inside of each rescued believer. That's you. If you're in Christ today, he is also in you. You couldn't be in him if he were not in you. The two have to go together. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He's also going to raise you. You're going to complete this mission. There's similar language in Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is talking about similar things as he writes to that church. And he's saying, look, you also, Ephesian Christians, were included in Christ. I'm a Christian. I know things that God has done. Here's my testimony. He shares it through the book of Acts. He shares it in a number of other places. I know that God's in me. I know that he's able to finish his good work in me. Now, let me tell you about you. You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee of our inheritance until all things are done, until the end comes, until that grace appears. And heaven appears on the horizon. Quote from Henry Skogel, who wrote a book called The Life of God and the Soul of Man many, many years ago. This is quoted or paraphrased by Ray Ortland in the book that Craig has recommended to us about Romans 8. The essence of authentic Christianity, the essence of authentic Christianity is the life of God in the soul of man. A new impulse of holy vitality. What an understatement. A new impulse, but that's often how we experience it, just little little by little. This is, oh my goodness, a new impulse of holy vitality imparted by God himself. And that divine life, that divine life, Jesus in you, the hope of glory, is what motivates solid Christian faithfulness. It's not duty, it's the power of God within. 
It's Jesus himself within. You have been, as he says, supernaturalized. Another quote from Kent Hughes on the same passage, the Holy Spirit creates a new humanity, which is characterized by walking according to the Spirit. The new humanity, through its union with Christ, is infused with the power to live in a way that is pleasing to God. Everything the law required is now realized in the lives of those who are controlled by the Spirit. Listen to that again. Everything the law required is now realized in the lives of those who are controlled by the Spirit. So God's rescue guarantees that his people will complete the mission. Guarantees. Become convinced of that. If I've not convinced you, keep studying it until you're convinced. Critical, critical, critical. Number two, the condition of the rescue. You have to be his people. The Spirit's work, God's rescuing work, guarantees that his people will complete the mission. There are many contrasts here talking about those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's the condition of the rescue. Verse five. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, a couple of notes here. The phrase, those who live, actually should be rendered those who are according to the flesh. This is not just talking about what we do. It's talking about who we are. There has to be this actual transformation of who we are. Those who are a new people. Those who have been transformed, not just those who do new things, those who internally have been transformed by the Spirit of God. Those who are according to the flesh, that's the way we were born, that's where we woke up on the island, that's who we were, every one of us. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are by the Spirit's power in Christ Jesus are according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So we think not in order to make ourselves different. We think a certain way because of who we are. That's what Paul is saying here. Ortland said, this is two diametrically opposed orientations to life in the spirit, in the flesh. Setting minds on, mindset of the spirit, mindset of the flesh. There's a deep, dark, endlessly deep line between the two. Can't cross. Only one person crossed it. Only one person. Okay, let's look at two ships there's a, there's a ship here that's called, it's the good ship Jesus, okay? And it is being drawn inexorably by the law of the spirit of life and all of those people and gatherings of churches and all those things that are represented, every one of those people in Jesus who also, if you could zoom in and you could see that the spirit of Jesus lives in every one of them, because you have to have it both ways. Every one of them is going to get to the positive pole. Now, I had a couple of science majors at the break who told me that I got this all wrong, but I'm, I'm here to tell you that I didn't get this wrong because I realized something I didn't say in the first service. The positive energy, the positive, the Holy Spirit within is being drawn to the positive, they said, that doesn't happen in, in this world. Exactly. This world's upside down, okay? I didn't realize that first service. I should have. So the positive in, in God's kingdom is drawn to the positive. The Holy Spirit within is drawn to the Godhead. It's drawn to heaven. It's drawn to the, the spirit of life. The law of the spirit of life is inexorably drawing people. They will complete their mission. And then there's another ship. This one is called the flesh. This is the evil ship, the flesh. And it's being drawn by, inexorably as well, by the law of the flesh to death. Every human being is in one of those two ships. There's no other ship. There's not a third ship. You're either in the spirit and Jesus is in you. 
You're either in Jesus and Jesus is in you, or you're in the flesh and Jesus, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus is not in you. Only two possibilities. We can wake up on an island and not believe that because we don't know, and that's where most people in the world are. Sadly, they don't know. We know. You're, only, you're in one ship or you're in the other ship. This idea of mindset, which is brought out here, uh, has to do more with, it's more than just thinking. This has to do with the mind and the emotions and the will. It's all of the inner qualities, all the inner workings of your life that make you who you are. It's everything that's not your body. It's all the spiritual, immaterial side of you, mind, emotions, will. And John Stott says that to set the mind, or this is actually talking about a mindset, references and reflects three things. The first one is, it references our basic nature as Christians or non-Christians. So we either, either are of the flesh or we are of the spirit. So the mindset has to do with our basic orientation, the essence of who we are. We're either spirit people or we're flesh people. All right? Secondly, he says, it represents an eternal consequence. So you're either headed for death, who by nature have the mindset of the flesh. They're headed for death. The tide is coming in. The enemy is firing. It's only a matter of time before those who are in the flesh are going to die eternally. But those who are in the spirit get what? Life and peace. So there's eternal consequences for both ships. Both ships aren't just going to wander aimlessly in some sea of forgetfulness for eternity. They're not. They're going to get to a shore. They're going to get to either to the shore of heaven or they're going to get to the shore of the abyss. And that'll be it. That's where they're going to go. The ships are headed somewhere. There's an eternal consequence. Thirdly is an attitude toward God. Those who are in the flesh are hostile and rebellious. That's their mindset. They may not look like it. They may look like happy people. They may look like they like God. But if they, if, if they are in the flesh, deep within, they're loving a God of their own making. They're not loving the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because if they've rejected him by his definition and he gets to define things, they are at enmity with him. But those who have the Spirit, those who have been filled with the Spirit, those who have the Spirit of Christ, who are in Jesus, in that ship, they love God increasingly. Now, again, it may not seem like it at first. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be new people who are still wondering what's happening. But increasingly, there's going to be love for God. That's what happens, a delight in the obedience to God. That's what happens. That's what the Spirit does. He's going to fulfill all the intentions of God through those who are in the Spirit. That's what we've been told. So John Stott sums it up this way. To sum up, I love how the British say that, to sum up, here are two categories of people, the unregenerate who are in the flesh and the regenerate who are in the spirit, which leads to two patterns of conduct, either living according to the flesh or living according to the spirit, and results in two spiritual states, either death or life, enmity or peace. Thus, our mind, or what he means here is mindset, our mindset plays a key role in both our present conduct and our final destiny. Very, very important. Notice as we move to verse 9 that Paul goes from the third person. Again, he's kind of describing what's happening in general. He moves to a second person, and he personalizes this to you. You, however, so he's saying to the Romans, and through extension, As we interpret this to us as well, we need to hear this as well. But specifically, he's talking to this church. These are not just abstract, generic, religious formula. Paul wants them and he wants us to understand this doctrine and then to assure that we personalize the teaching. So let me tell you how it is, and then I'm going to look at you and say, now what, let me me direct this directly to you. That's exactly what he does here. What is Paul's purpose? We need to be asking ourselves that. In this section, there are no commands. There's not a single command here. He doesn't give us the application. So as we're reading this, we need to be asking ourselves, what's Paul's purpose? Is it for us to hold up two images? Minus man and plus man. Two ships. And then to ask the question, which are you? Which man are you? Plus or minus? Which ship are you in? Is that what Paul's doing here? It's a fair question. It's a good question to be asking. Here's, what, here's how he says it in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if 
In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There's a lot of ifs there. Why are the ifs there? What are they doing? What is Paul saying? I know of people like myself who are in the ship and you need to go figure out if you're in this ship and if you're not in the ship, you need to do something about it. Is that what he's trying to say here? Well, it's interesting because just like it's hard and it's been a debate for at least, well, at least 2,000 years over the passage in Romans 7, here's another one that's very interesting because the word that Paul uses to, that is in, in, translated in our Bibles, if, also means since. Let's read that again. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since... In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. But, verse 10, since Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life. Verse 11, since the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus. Now, why would He do that? What's going on there? I think He's got a number of things in view. It is important, it's very critical that those of us who are genuinely believers, who have been born again, Whatever stage of development we're in, whatever stage of completing our mission we're in, whatever stage of understanding, if the Spirit of God is in us, there is no condemnation now or ever. We're just as much in the ship as anybody else in Jesus. Nothing's going to change that identity, that heavenly identity. If He's in us and we're in Him, that is done. There will be no one ever who will be able to come along and say, you didn't really do what you needed to do. Therefore, you are out of the ship. No one can do that. You can't do that. God won't do that because he's promised. He's guaranteed it. No one else can come along. The accuser cannot come along and say, but you did this and this and this and this. Okay? So it's very important for those of us who are truly believers that we hear over and over again, since you're in Christ Jesus, since it's happened, there's the guarantee. Live your lives in light of this guarantee. Live your lives in the fullness of this guarantee. Live your lives in the power of this guarantee. The Spirit is in you, and He's going to work all things out in your life. And He wants you to cooperate with Him in doing that. So believe it and then live in light of that. So what Paul says to the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Take that verse out of context and it sounds like you've got to go back to this battery. Do it. God saved you. He's done his part. Now go do it. Here's your three volt battery. As a matter of fact, we're going to give you a nine volt battery and you're going to be able to try even harder than you could before you were a Christian. No. It's not what he's saying. He's saying the most powerful force in the universe, the force that put the universe as a just a a subset of what it could do is living in you. Now go in the power of the Spirit and fulfill everything that I've called you to do. That's what it means. Since Christ is in you, Christians, brothers and sisters, live that way. But the if is important too because what we don't want to ever, 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 ever assume is that the promise reads like this. There is therefore no condemnation for anybody. And that is the word that our culture preaches. Our culture preaches, you know what? Your battery's too small. You don't love yourself enough. You need to go get recharged. Read this book. Get a bigger battery. You need to feel that our culture preaches make yourself better. Instead of saying, empty yourself, cry out, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me? I cannot rescue myself. No human being can rescue me. Jesus Christ alone can rescue me. And guess what? If he does that, it's guaranteed. You are rescued. And you are being rescued. And you will be rescued. The Bible speaks of it in all three tenses. You're saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. Powerful. 
So we have to have both. Because as a church, as you're sharing with your neighbors, as we're examining our own lives, we need to be able to hear if, if we're not sure, if whatever. We've got to be able to hear that. So it's very interesting to me that that word means both things. It's like the Lion King. Just to give you another, another uh, movie illusion. You've forgotten who you are. If you're a believer, you need to remember who you are. Peter talks about this in 2 Peter. Don't forget who you are, who you are by the grace of God, not because you figured out how to get out of your mess, but because God said, you're going to die with me, and then you're going to be raised up with me. You're going to be in me, and I'm going to be in you. And you know what? In that arrangement, it's guaranteed, absolutely guaranteed that you're going to make it through. Thirdly, the completion of the mission. God's rescue guarantees that his people will complete the mission. Verse 3, listen to the subject, listen to the action. Who is doing this action? God has done what the law could not do. By sending, he, who sent? He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and friends. He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? What's the mission? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. If, since, whichever it is for you, if, since, the spirit of God, him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. That's the mission. The end of the mission is Jesus comes back. We're all raised up, whether we're dead and moldering in the ground or we've been cremated and our ashes are somewhere. He's going he's to give us a new body just like he gave Jesus. You're going to walk through doors. You're going to be transported places. You're going to be able to do things you can't even imagine now. Paul saw this. He went to heaven. He saw this and he was told, don't even try to talk about it. You're forbidden. Because in this case, a picture is worth way more than a thousand words. It's worth an infinite number of words. You cannot imagine what he stored up for you. All the afflictions you're going through, no matter how difficult they are, they are light and momentary. Comparing to the surpassing glory of where that ship is headed. And if you're in him and he's in you, guaranteed you're going to get there. Now, you're not there yet. We're on mission together. What's the mission? Rescued for what? Kevin DeYoung asked. Rescued for what? What's the mission? That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. He saved us and he declared us holy so that we might increasingly become what we already are in his sight. There's a truth that as we look at that ship headed for that big rock, that rock is Christ. And in that in that rock, in the heavenly places, in, in the book of Ephesians, God says, you're in there, you're in Christ in the heavenly places right now. That's why he can guarantee it. He's already put you there. That's the already. The not yet is you're here and you're not experiencing that yet. So in the meantime, until he comes and says, this is your final breath, and now you get to see it all, everything I've promised you, in the meantime, we've got things to do. And it's glorious. There's glorious things to do. He's fitting us for heaven. He's making us like him. It's a holy place. He wants a holy people to come into his holy place. He's declared us holy and he's making us holy. He's making us like Jesus. J.C. Ryle, quoted by Kevin DeYoung, writes this, we must be holy because this is one grand end purpose for which Christ came into the world. Jesus is a complete savior. He's not a just pull the guy up out of the and get him untangled and leave him on the beach and leave him with his just silly little battery. He's a complete savior. He's not going to leave you there. He loves you too much to leave you there. He's, he's got a place. He's going to prepare a place for you. He's going to make you ready for it just while he's making it ready for you. That's what we're doing here. And there's other people in the other ship who need to hear this. And guess what? There's people in our ship that need to hear this too. We need to hear this message. We must be holy. It's one grand end purpose for which Christ came into the world. He's a complete Savior. He does not merely take away the guilt of a believer's sin. He does more. He breaks its power. And he will not be satisfied until you know that his power, this power of sin is broken in your life. A lot of us, we wake up every morning and we don't believe that. We believe it in theory, but when he turns and says, now you, we go, ah, oh, I don't think so. 
I'm still doing this, and I'm still doing that, and I'm still, and I need to go find a self-help book, and I need to get a bigger battery, and I need to, I need to, I, 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 I. And there are things we have to do. But the first thing we have to do is go back and remember, who are we? Whose mission are we on? And what power do we have to complete that mission? We've got to help each other with this. The law, the law, the law. So here, here we go. This is, a, this is a very important thing. And this is why I asked Tim to draw the drawings the way he did. In the first drawing, you have the guy who's tangled up in the, the canopy of his parachute. And the parachute is representing all of the righteous requirements of the law that we hear here. All the things, the mission plan of God, the, the things like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I try, I try, but I can't. It's just dragging me down because it's, I'm using the flesh. I'm using this little battery to empower the law. And all that does is lead to death. I'm, I'm being drawn to that. So then the Spirit comes in and He gives us power. And all of a sudden, it changes. So it, in the second guy representing Jesus, it's a canopy opened. And it just has this updraft of power from the Spirit that just allows us to soar. So that cheesy poem that Craig... <laughs> that Craig shared last week, if you were here about, you know, I can't remember exactly how it went, but it was interesting. I, I told the first service, I think I read 10 different commentaries on that verse, and I think nine of them used the exact same poem. So I think the poem itself is, is nine-tenths anointed as you go through that. But it, it gives us wings. So the very thing that prior to having the power of the Spirit within was just dragging, combining with my flesh was dragging me to death. Dragging me to death. I couldn't get there. Now becomes something totally different. It's a treasure map. It's a treasure map. It's a canopy. It's wings to me. And so I can open the Bible now and go, you know what? There's no condemnation for me. I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm increasingly sure of that. I've experienced his power within me. And now I can read this book and go, Lord, what's for today? You know what? Yesterday, I I really was impatient with my kids. But I read in here that love is patient. Lord, I'm not patient. Lord, I'm not condemned because your word says there's no condemnation. I'm convicted and I know that I'm going to finish my mission because you promised it. It, The guarantee is you, not me. And so, Lord, help me. And Lord, you know what? I did that again today. I need to go help. I need to go to my community group and say, guys, I'm struggling with being patient with my kids. Would you pray for me? Because there's power in you and there's power in me. We're going to pray together. We're going to help each other to do that. We're not going to condemn each other because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're going to help each other. And if it becomes something that you just are really struggling with, you're caught. Paul talks about that. Maybe a community group might not be the place for somebody who's really struggling with a really life, it's just really tangled up. We may need to get some additional help. But guess what? If you're in Christ, that's going to be broken as well. It may be broken the final day when, when you burst through and you're in the harbor of heaven. Or it may be broken before, I don't know. But guess what? He wants you to complete your mission. He guarantees that you'll complete your mission. This is what we're doing here. It's what we're doing here. And there's other people that need to know this. And we need to tell them. I don't have to obey this in order to earn his love. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It was never intended to do that. I get to obey it because he's in me. And he loves me. Please open your Bibles and read it as a love story and a set of instructions and and a roadmap, a treasure map that's getting you to the greatest of treasures. Jesus himself in his presence is fullness of joy. The river of delights you're going to get to drink from. You can't even imagine these things that Paul was not allowed to talk about. People try, I love reading books about heaven, I love reading C.S. Lewis and all these imaginings, but all of that is nothing compared to what it's going to be. He is the end of our mission. And on our way to the final destination, our mission as a church, your mission as a believer is summed up. Jesus said, all the law and the prophets depend on these two things, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not with battery power. Can't do it. Forget it. Don't try. But love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can. You can now. You can, you're filled with the Spirit. You are filled with the power of the Spirit that needs to be unleashed. And you need to recognize, God, help me. If I'm struggling to love, help me to love you. And thank you that it doesn't depend on my effort. But that ship 
notice that I'm in Jesus. It's getting to the destination no matter what my current experience is or not. If I'm in Jesus. Okay, understand that. He wants his mission to become, he wants our mission to be his mission. Love the Lord your God. Love others as yourself. No, it's harder than that. Love one another as I have loved you. Lay your life down. Give your life away. Do what I've done. Help to rescue other people from where they are. I send you out as my witnesses. Witnesses of what? Some story? We need to be witnesses full of power that we can say with Paul, hey, what I've got, I want you to have. Just like Peter and John said, silver and gold, we have none, but what we have, we got the Spirit's power. He's going he's to hit you right now, and you're going you're gonna to know something that you don't know right now, and you're going to see things that you don't see right now. We need to all be growing in that. So what's the application here? There are no commands, as I said. What does he want the Roman Christians to do? What does he want us to do? It's like he's holding up these two pictures, maybe. If, since, I think there's three groups of people Uh, and so I've lied to you all day, there's three groups of people. Actually, there's only two biblically, but there's a third group that's confused, that is unsure, and I think that's the third group. So if you are in the group that you are really certain, you have become convinced that Romans 8.1 applies to you, there is no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, you have the guarantee of the Spirit's power to complete your mission at His invitation You've looked up, you've seen the Savior, you've repented, you've believed the good news. You have, in your previously impossible situation, called upon the name of the Lord, and you're saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. Guaranteed. There is not now, and there will never be any condemnation of you because you are, by the grace of God, in Christ. That's the truth. What, let the world say what it might. Let your own heart say what it might. The truth is what God says. You're on mission. You have the power of the Spirit, the greatest power in the universe, beyond the universe in you, and you have the Word of God directing you to the greatest of treasures, the Son of God. It's your treasure map. Love it. Study it. Read it. Find out how to walk according to the Spirit and how to become what you already are. That's what it's for. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Join with others who can help you and whom you can help. Together then, look for others who are not yet on the mission, not on the ship both the religious and the anti-religious, and urge them. Paul pleaded with people. He pled with people. He urged people in the strong, be reconciled to God. Get off that ship. There's one way. There's one bridge between the ships. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the only way. Give it up. Give up your battery. Let it die. Let it drown. Let Let it be destroyed. Let him give you his power. Stop trying to do it on your own. Grace. Grace in the form of a person, in the person of Jesus Christ and his spirit, the spirit of God, has given you power and wings to fly. So church, fly. Grow in all that grace intends for you. Grace calls you to rest in Jesus' finished work. And it's not an either or, it's a both and. Grace calls you to do mighty exploits for the glory of God. Don't be satisfied ever until you're in his presence. You're not done. Your mission's not over until he says it's over. So don't get up, pick yourself up and put your old battery back in. Get up and say, Lord, fill me with the spirit again today. Lord, show me what you want me to do today. Lord, give me eyes that are open to all the potential, all the things that I don't even know are gonna happen. There's good works out there for me to do. Give me the ability to see them again today and again tomorrow and again the next day. Secondly, there's man or woman of the flesh. You're in the wrong boat. You're in the boat you started in. You need to hear the warnings that are here. If, don't be fooled by this world into thinking or by your own heart that there's no condemnation for you if you're not in Christ Jesus. That is a lie. It's the deep, most devious, deepest, worst of all lies. Don't listen to the enemies of God who would say, it doesn't matter what you do. It's all of grace anyway. Just go on sinning so that you'll experience more grace. Ask God for eyes to see the mission. Realize, ask him to turn the lights on. Realize you're not going to make it without his powerful rescue and the new life that comes through the gospel as his spirit fills you and changes you and gives you as well the guarantee. Apart from the spirit of God within, you have zero hope, no hope. You will be lost. 
But today, if you or at any time have glimpsed Jesus and seen your hopelessness, if the light is on, that is the Spirit's work. You cannot see it unless the Spirit is at work. If that's true of you, call out to Jesus right now. He's the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. There's mystery there, but we know that all who are in Christ Jesus, for them there will be no condemnation. Repent then. What repent means is I give up. I surrender. I'm hopeless. My ways are sinful. I'm running from you. I give it up. Repent and believe that Jesus is your only hope and you will be saved. You will be saved. You will be being saved and you will ultimately be saved for eternity. You can receive the guarantee of a successful mission today in a moment. And thirdly, there's a group, and this is probably the thing that's impacted me the most as we've interacted with people in the church over the last six months and some of the difficulties that people have gone through is we, I know that there are here, some here we know as pastors, we all know as community group leaders and as well, that are just not sure what ship you're on. You could show that last picture, Casey, with the two. Um, you know, the, the, Jesus' shirt, uh, ship is the church, and the flesh ship is not the church. But there are people who aren't sure. There are people who struggle with assurance. Is, a, a, am I in Christ? Is this promise for me? And... I can't answer that question for you, but the Lord can answer that question for you. When I was in college, uh, I grew up in in churches a lot of the times that just weren't preaching the gospel. My parents preached the gospel to me, but they weren't preaching the gospel. And so I I didn't have a clear understanding of the gospel. And even though I had responded to it at a very early age, I realize now, when I was in college, I was in this place. Am I really a believer? Can I read the word and have it be true for me? Or is this just for somebody else? Is this just for the Roman Christians whose faith is proclaimed in all the world? Or is it, is it really for me too? How can I be sure that I'm a Christian? How can I be sure? And, and the Lord, as I'm praying, as I'm crying out for, not for salvation, but for assurance of salvation, the Lord led me to that passage in Ephesians 1, where he says, Paul says, I know I'm a believer, basically. I'm the first fruits, but you also were included in Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, guaranteeing a seal which guarantees our deliverance, guarantees our inheritance. That, the Lord just used that verse, shone a light on it, shined a light on it, and, and at that point, I, just re- I recognized, I, yeah, God's done this. So I want every one of you to have many, many, many moments like that where this assurance, God wants us to know what ship we're in. He doesn't want you guessing. He doesn't want you getting to the final shore going, uh, which shore is this? He wants you to know. So we want to pray for people tonight, today, this morning, this afternoon, whatever time it is, previous, pre, prior to Memorial Day uh, sometime. We want to pray for you. If you're in one of those two second categories, I, I want to pray for all of you who are in the first category, which I believe is probably most of this church. But I want to pray for those of you in the second category, those of you who know that you're on the wrong ship. You just have never responded. You've never repented. You're still trying to run on this. God has so much more for you. This this father loves the world so much that he gave his son. He wants you to have it all. But there's only one way, and that is repent and believe. Give up your way take Jesus. So I believe if, if the Lord wants you to do that today, we're, we want to be here to pray for you and ask some of the group leaders to come up and pray for folks. Also, if you're in the second category, boy, you just wrestle with this assurance issue. The Lord understands. The entire book of 1 John, John, at near, probably near the end of his life, after walking with the Lord for many years, he says, I write this to you, to you who believe, that you might know that you have eternal life. He, they, God understands our fickleness and our frailty and our, how we can, we can just lose sight of who he is and what he's done and that it's, it's of him. We can lose touch with the power that he's put within us. We can, we can just drift. So if you're in that con- condition, you're in between the two ships, you're just not sure, let us pray for you as well. 
this morning. So we're going to be done. I'm going to pray. If you would like to come up, if I could get some of the community group leaders and others who have prayed up here. Those of you, anybody in the first category would just love to pray for somebody because the Spirit of God is in you. Come up and pray for people. Uh, But we would love to pray for you. Please don't leave if you're struggling with assurance or if you know and the Lord has spoken to you today, I'm on the wrong ship and you want to be transferred. He can do that right now. You don't have to do anything except say yes to Jesus. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.